Mike Slater. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. America is the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Uh, tough day, obviously. If you're listening to this on podcast, uh, the show is on uh, Saturdays from noon to 3 Pacific time, 3 to 6 Eastern, just for reference sake. Um, so we're going to talk about what happened last night in uh, in Paris. And of course, I would take your phone call on Twitter, uh, Slater Radio on Twitter, and one eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three on uh, the phones. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. The most important thing that I would like to say right now, and uh, there'll be plenty of more to chat about as the days and weeks go on, but the most important thing is to prepare your family. There is. No reason other than superb work by our law enforcement, and they would say sometimes very lucky. But otherwise, superb work from our law enforcement that there has not been an attack like this in America. Everyone in law enforcement that I've talked to, and I have friends, I'm in San Diego, so there's a lot of law enforcement here. Uh, I've Border Patrol friends, NCIS, SEALs, DEA, Secret Service. What else? That's enough. Um, and they all say it's a matter of time. So this will happen here. I don't mean that to scare anyone. I, that's just reality. This will happen in America. There's no reason why it wouldn't. We're <laughs> like, what? Does anyone really think we live in a bubble where this would not happen? Of, co- of course it will happen. To what extent, we don't know. Where? No idea. How? Not sure. But it will. So you think, well, okay, Sutter, how can I, knowing that, which is nothing, how can I prepare myself and my family? Well, a couple different things. First, prepare emotionally. When this does happen in your city, and again, I'm in San Diego, so we're a little heightened alert. I would think San Diego would be the worst place to attack, but... Uh, I guess because of all of our military targets and whatnot. Some people think that's a a good reason to attack or whatever. Um, When this happens, if this happens in your city, think now about how you are going to react to it and how you're going to work with your kids through it and your spouse or whoever, right? Like what's the Slater family emotional response to an attack in America? 9-11 caught us all off guard. The next attack doesn't have to. I don't know what the right response is. I don't know what it is. I'm just saying I think it's important to prepare for it as best you can emotionally. That way you don't freeze. So prepare emotionally for how you're going to react. Second, prepare your home with food and water and 
a gun. <laughs> I'll just come out and say, uh, whatever you need to protect your family. So I'm less concerned. Well, I'm not less concerned. There's one attack, which would be something like this. You're out and about, and uh, they take over a theater and uh, shoot everyone. And by the way, I, I predict that we will see video from what happened inside the theater in Paris. I, I believe um, that they videotaped like they like the not the people in the audience the terrorists videotaped beheading people inside there i've no just just a prediction that they were beheading people inside and uh, taking video of it and before they were killed I, they uploaded it i'm just predicting that they uploaded it and we will see what happened inside that video inside that theater in a propaganda piece uh pretty soon so there's that but then there's also what's going to happen when there's a breakdown in our electrical grid. That's really my main concern. What is going to happen when the electrical grid goes down? I I want to try to do this on my local show, and if we can do it, I'll, I'll replay it here because um, Ted Koppel's a busy man. But uh, I don't know if we can get him twice, but Ted Koppel's been talking about this, our electric grid, and, and how it's so archaic and so easy to take down. There's a, like two, three years ago, there was a blackout in San Diego for a couple of days, and it was because some knucklehead pressed the wrong button in Arizona or something like that. <laughs> it was like outside Phoenix, someone pressed a button, and then we lost all of our power for a few days. Huh? And I know Glenn has highlighted different attacks on different uh, transformers, electric transformers across the country, and nothing came of it. But I don't know. If an electrical br- grid breaks down, then... There will be no way to exchange money for things. And people are going to lose their minds when that happens. So have enough for a period of time. Whatever that means for you, have enough for a certain period of time. So that's really that's my first first thing that can come to mind here. The warning for Americans that uh, this will happen here. It looks like the explosion outside the stadium, the guy or whoever tried to get in, tried to get inside the stadium, but they had the metal detectors and they patted him down and they discovered the explosives and that's when he detonated, he or she, whatever, it detonated itself, killing, we don't know how many people outside, but imagine if that person was able to get inside and sit down in their seat and then, so that could have been much worse I um I just got back from a veterans brunch veterans day brunch from uh put on by our church and I'm not a veteran but I was uh invited as an honorary honorary veteran and it was a wonderful honor and great to be there. And there were 12 people, 10 guys, two women in our church who were veterans. And we had a nice little breakfast. And one of the guys there told a story of someone who just passed away in the church and how a year ago he was frail, very frail, had trouble moving. Uh, he could barely walk with a walker. And Lee said, hey, buddy, you want to go to the Midway? The USS Midway. USS Midway is an aircraft carrier. It was commissioned right after World War II, I think like a week after World War II. 
and uh, I think the longest serving aircraft carrier. And when it got decommissioned, it became a museum in San Diego. It's beautiful. If you're ever here, you got to go. You got to put it on your trip. Uh, so Lee goes, hey, man, you want to go check out the Midway? And he's like, oh, I haven't seen the Midway since I served on it in 1962. All right. So they went downtown and they, they checked it out and they were walking around and he was frail and, and, and moving very slowly on his walker. And then he got up to the deck of the Midway. And on the deck of the Midway are a bunch of old planes. And he went up and one of the planes on display was literally his plane. That the plane he flew in was on the deck of the Midway. And he goes, oh, yeah, look at this. This is the, the you know, the bolt that I put in the plane and what like he served on that plane that exact one not like well something like that like that plane and lee said from that point forward he was a totally different person not just emotionally but physically he said i want to go down to the end of the end of the deck so he put his walker to the side stood straight up and walked the entire end of the midway Without his walker. In the rain. And then walked back and Lee said, hey, you want to go check out the uh, the World War II uh, Memorial, which is just, uh, it's offside the ship and it's down maybe like 100 yards on the right, sort of on the other side of the, the bay, the dock there. And he goes, yep. And Lee goes, all right, here's your walker. He goes, I don't need it. And they walk down, they take the elevator down and they walk across the, the bay to the World War II Museum. And again, he's standing tall and proud and uh, doesn't need the walker. You're thinking, why? How could that be? He stood taller that day, proud of his service. And the recognition that his service was for something bigger than him. And it was meaningful. And I shared that story. I just heard it an hour ago. I share it because it's time we all start walking a little taller. It's time, time we all start walking with a purpose. It's time we all stop paying attention to stupid, useless junk and start focusing on what matters and only what matters. The other day I talked to a guy. He is the, um, the head of the Army Reserve. He's the top dog of the Army Reserve, uh, Jeff Talley. One of the most impressive people I've ever met in my entire life. The man's lived 10 lifetimes. He went to Oxford. He owns his own company. He has like 20 degrees. I don't know. Crazy. He's done a million different things. Really one of the most impressive people I've ever met. And he left. We chatted for an hour on my local show and they left. And I said, you know what made that man so impressive? You know why he's so, so successful? And successful is not even the right word. Accomplished, maybe. No junk food. No junk food. That man does not digest any junk food in his life. And my buddy said, what are you talking about? I said, no, no, I'm not talking about like McDonald's junk food. There's other types of junk food. I think Gaffigan has a routine. I'm pretty sure it's Gaffigan. And he says, I, you know, whenever I tell people I go to McDonald's and, and, and someone doesn't, they always look down at me like they're so much better than me because they don't go to McDonald's. And he's like, quiet. You, you eat junk food. It may not be food, but it's trash magazines. It's stupid TV shows. It's dumb movies. You eat your junk food just the same as I do. Mine happens to come in the form of a Big Mac, and yours comes in the form of Us Weekly or whatever it is, or Keeping Up with the Kardashians or whatever. But you all eat your junk food. This man, head of the, the, the Army Reserve, no junk food. Not, not an ounce of junk food in his life. 
And that's why he's so accomplished. It's time we stop eating junk food. It's time we walk taller, find our purpose, find the mission, realize it's not about us, it's about bigger bigger things than us. Get rid of junk food and be a light. Because evil fills a void. Darkness thrives in the absence of light. Darkness can only exist in the absence of light. If you have a light on, you can't like make the room super dark by doing I mean like you the room can only be dark by turning the light off, right? You can only have an absence of darkness is the absence of light. If you have light, then there's no more dark. See the analogy there? So it's up to us to be that light. And where there is not darkness, it means we're not being bright enough. It means we're not standing tall enough. It means we're not as focused as we need to be. It means the purpose is our purpose is not as defined as it used to. I don't know, I just wish America would throw its walker to the side and reclaim that glory again. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Sorry, those are just my first thoughts. We got some other stuff we'll uh, chat about next, obviously. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. What can you do to prepare your family because like i said i think that's the most important thing but i don't even know what that means really <laughs> so so if you have an idea of what it means emotionally physically spiritually prepare your family because this will happen in america and it'll be worse so what does that mean for you prepare your family one 888 or slater radio on twitter mike slater show the blaze radio network spread the word mike slater we'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry, call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. You're listening to Mike Slater. Slider Cassettes, 1 888 Uh Question to you, and this is going to be my question throughout the show, is how, how to prepare. Because I know we have to prepare. I know it's, it's, we all know it's going to happen here again. It's amazing. It hasn't, to be honest. Um, real quick, let me just throw this out of here. CARE, you know, the, the Islamic group, Council on American Islamic Relations. They sent out a tweet that said, we must remember, hashtag, terrorism has no religion. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's been terrorist-like acts by other groups in history, but I mean, right about now, it's kind of kind of one, kind of one group, kind of, yes, indeed, does have uh, religion. The, um, 
Anyway, I didn't mean I don't want to get off topic with that. Just throwing that out there. So what does preparing look like? one 888 What does it look like emotionally? What's going to be your reaction when this does happen here in America? Because it will. What's going to be, what is your reaction now when it comes to preparing? I don't even know, physically for your family, food, water, gun. I, I, I don't know. And I don't want to be crazy here, but I don't want to be sorry either. The president of France said the response from France is going to be pitiless. A pitiless response. It's going to be interesting to see how France responds. How the young men and women of Paris respond. Keep in mind, this was at a rock concert. This was not at the opera in Paris. There was not an older audience there. These were younger folks inside this nightclub late late at night by the way one american was in there and has been as was killed she was a student at um cal state long beach southern california here um, and that's just one there'll be other american how will the young people many idealistic perhaps a lot like the kids at university of missouri and yale which i do want to get to a little later in the show how will they respond to this france has a much longer history than we do obviously in america they're very proud people and I don't know, you look back at Charlie Hebdo in January, I don't know if they, the response was too dramatic. Not in a proactive, like we're taking the war to ISIS kind of way. I mean, sure, there were attacks here and there, but nothing uh, nothing super dramatic here. I wonder if uh, France wants to put some boots on the ground. There's been a lot of watching since January. And I'm just going to say January because that's when the Charlie Hebdo attack was. But a lot of watching since then. I think it's about time the watching ends. And... I don't know. Well, there's plenty of time to talk about this as time goes on, but I'm not sure how much of a role America needs to take in this. <laughs> With more boots on the ground, I mean. And I'm not saying that that's it, that we don't need to do that or whatever, but um, I'd like to see France take a front lines role here. We'll be there. We'll play a role. We have to. Because you can't. No other country can do anything of great significance unless we are also a part of it. If it's not even just our intelligence and whatnot. But I'd like to see France step up. I'd like to see, uh, I don't know, maybe we can uh, team up with evil Russia. I'm amazed that Putin hasn't responded more to the uh, airline that was taken down by ISIS. That's, it's confirmed that that was ISIS. No, As confirmed as it can be. That, the, that they took, took down the, uh, the Russian plane. I'm amazed that Putin has stepped back. As long as he has. Put down the geopolitical alliances and realize that these people have to go. I don't know. I don't want to watch anymore. I don't, I don't, we, can't, we can't just watch. We can't just have security guards outside uh, stadiums as our, as our line of defense against this. I'd like to see the countries in Europe. France, Germany, England. Spain, Italy, Greece. Why not Russia? I'd like to see them commit 100,000 troops. What's the holdup? What are you waiting for? Us? Sorry. We got a year of a uh, of this president who wants nothing to do with, with reality. So you may not get much more from us than, than 50 advisory roles of people in Syria or whatever. We need more than that. People in Europe need more than that. France is coming out, speaking some strong words. It'll be interesting to see uh, 
how they follow through and what you think the appropriate American response is as well. I want to come back and, and talk. It's a little, this ties into the Missouri and Yale controversy of the last week. I believe that we have been designed so that inside each of us is the desire to fight for something. Every single person has a desire to fight for something. And one of the greatest blessings in life is when you can find it. I want to talk about where we've lost our way and how we can find it again. We'll do that next Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Center's talking a little bit about uh, Paris, what happened last night. If you're watching this on or listening to this on podcast, uh, we record the show or we do the show live at uh, Saturday afternoon. So the event still happened last night, so things may have changed since you're listening right now. So I'll try to keep it you know, specific in general at different times. Um, we're talking about finding purpose and acting on purpose with purpose, as opposed to a lot of floundering which is what we've been doing the last, I don't know, couple of years. And I kind of want to tie in what's going on in Missouri and, and Yale here. And we'll talk more detail about that coming up a little later. But I've been thinking a lot about the college campus protests. And I'm thinking, why are these kids acting like this? Where is this coming from? And I think there's a lot of different reasons. I think you have uh, you know, the self-esteem culture. We're seeing the fruits from that, which is you're amazing, you're wonderful. Uh, the everyone gets a trophy culture, which is a you know I'm entitled to everything. I just I'm I deserve respect just because I showed up that thing. So there's a lot of that, obviously, but that's more than that. I think we are designed by our Creator, each of us, to need to fight for something. Each and every one of us is designed to fight for something. And one of the greatest blessings in life is when you can find that thing and make a difference. If you can't find it or if you don't find it, then you feel aimless. And uh, you know what's the point? And, and ultimately become depressed. And if you feel aimless and worthless and depressed... You still have this desire to fight for something, and you don't know what. So in the case of Missouri and the Yale students and many others, they just make stuff up. And I think that's what that is. I think they're, they're, these kids, they, they want to be, they want to fight for something. They want to fight against an injustice, and they don't have one. There is no injustice that they're fighting against because they're students at Yale, for the love of Pete, which by definition makes you one of the most privileged people to have ever walked the face of the earth. So you have no injustice against you. So they just make one up. So the solution is very simple. It's to help these students, because I don't think they're bad people. It's to help these students find something that's truly worth fighting for. I guarantee you 
that there are black students on Yale's campus who spend their free time doing charity work in Africa. Those kids are not complaining about hypothetically offensive Halloween costumes. And just keep in mind, this isn't about actually offensive Halloween costumes. It's about the concept of potentially offensive Halloween costumes. That's what this whole thing's about at Yale. The people who are spending their time working on charities in Africa, you know, real problems, are not worried about Halloween costumes. And I guarantee you the people on Yale's campus who have gone through real discrimination are not distracted by this nonsense. The freshman class at Yale has 20 students from 12 African countries. So I guarantee you there's a black person in that class from South Africa, right? They can tell you about real discrimination. What it's like growing up, you know, our family or just still a post-apartheid culture in South Africa. I guarantee you there's a Christian African from Nigeria who knows someone or who has family members who have been killed because of their faith. I guarantee you that that person's on Yale's campus right now. And all of those people are stronger because of the adversity that they've gone through. So those students, they are not going to be brought down into the fetal position by Halloween costumes. They're stronger than that. They have a bigger purpose than that. And they're grateful for this country that they can fight for that righteous thing, that righteous cause. These other students, they're not bad people. They're just lost. They're just aimless. I want to read a... Um, so I, 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 let me make the point here. That, that's Missouri and Yale and other places. But the point with, with Paris is, are we lost and aimless? Have we lost our sights on things that are worth fighting for? Really, I came across this quote the other day. It was on the Church Boys podcast with uh, Corey Robertson, who's the wife of Willie Robertson from Duck Dynasty. And she said, we're so confused about what is right and wrong, about what is heroic, about what we value, and about what is important. Isn't that true? We we're so confused about what's right and wrong. We're confused about what is heroic. We're confused about what we value and what's important. And if we can define those things more clearly then we'll be able to find our purpose and we won't be distracted by, you know, Starbucks cups. (laughs) You know, we'll start focusing on things that really matter. I want to tell a story real quick of R.V. Bergen. He was a World War II veteran. He was deployed on an island in the uh, Pacific. And he's describing the wave after wave of bonsai charges from the Japanese. Let me just read some of the parts here. I'll skip around for the sake of time. He says, uh, it was a sleepless night. I'll put it that way. Should be the understatement of the year. What was making them come forward? The Japanese. I don't exactly know. That was the Japanese attitude. You could picture it. An enemy soldier standing straight up with his rifle in his hands, running straight at you. One Jap charged right into my foxhole. I stuck my bayonet into his chest just as he was leaving his feet, heaved him right over my shoulder, and pulled the trigger, emptying my M1 into him. He was dead right when he hit the ground, I'll tell you that. 
It all didn't take but just a few seconds. I kicked him out of the way and didn't give him another thought. I just paid attention to what was happening in front of me and got ready for the next charge. And they kept charging and charging. And all that was going through my mind was kill those blank. Don't miss. Make sure you get I mean, you're not thinking. You just try to set your sights on a man and get him down. I think most of us were wondering, my God, how many times are we going to need to do this? For crying out loud, how many of them are there? We fought off five charges that night. There wasn't anybody who had much ammo left by daylight. Imagine doing that all night long. One last part here. He says, do I remember what one specific Japanese soldier looked like? Heck yeah. I can close my eyes today and tell you exactly what he looked like. Instead of running like we run, he had a funny, fast-paced trot. These tennis shoe-looking shoes, brownish uniforms, that silly-looking helmet. Unbelievable determination in his face. Like nothing was going to stop him. Yelling, hollering, Marine, you die! Marine, you die! So he goes on and, and tells more about that night and that time on the islands there. And then he was asked how this experience affected him as a man. And he says, quite frankly, I'm glad I got to fight in the Pacific. Sorry, what? Quite frankly, I'm glad I got to fight in the Pacific. Sure, the horrors never leave you. But I can say until my dying day that I fought with the United States Marine Corps. I fought the Japanese on the islands. The men I served with were outstanding Marines. They were great men. Maybe the best warriors the world has ever seen. So think about that. Without skipping a beat, he says, I'm glad I got to fight in the Pacific. What? What are you talking about? What do you mean you're glad you got to fight in the Pacific? That's a man who's grateful for adversity. And whether we know it or not, whether we admit it or not, we are built to withstand adversity. Way more than we go through. It makes us stronger. This is why when you ask God for courage, he doesn't give you courage. He gives you a situation where you need to be courageous. Because he knows that you are able to withstand more than you think. A man who is untested, a man who is unchallenged, a man who lives in a problem-free world is nothing but a child. Now, I would argue that many kids who grow up in homes where they were protected and coddled and then sent off into the bubble that is an Ivy League school, I'd say they live in a problem-free world. But still, they yearn for brotherhood, like that World War II veteran experienced. The finest warriors the men has ever seen. I'm proud to be a United States Marine and served alongside these fellow men. We yearn for that. We were built for that. The years of struggle... And the unity that comes from fighting for a common cause. Sure, these kids are overprotected and coddled and wimps. But that doesn't take out of them that desire to fight for something. They yearn for purpose and for a fight. And when there's nothing there, they just make one up. And they're like, I don't know, let's fire the president of the university. <laughs> what? Why? Because there's someone drew a swastika in poop. You're like, what? 
This World War II vet was grateful for adversity because he knew it made him a better man. And I think these college kids today don't have adversity. They think they do, but they don't have adversity. So deep down, they feel like they're lacking something. They're lacking a challenge. They're lacking purpose. They're lacking a fight. So they go and pick one. And that's all that is. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if that's true, which is just my theory, but if that's true, then that's good. Because that means they're not a totally lost cause. <laughs> it just means that they need to find the fight worth fighting. And to fire a professor because of an email that they sent about a hypothetically offensive Halloween costume is not a fight worth fighting. And I just pray that one day they find something worthwhile. Or what's more likely going to happen, a fight will be thrust upon them, and they will have no choice. Like what happened in Paris. And that's why I said it's going to be interesting how the young people in Paris respond. I don't know the conditions over there, perhaps as coddled and, and uh, entitled as ours here. But we'll see if they can step up to the challenge, or if they're willing to, or if they see it as a challenge at all. Or just something else to ignore and go back to worrying about things that don't matter at all. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Slater, I just want to go to Josh, who is in Indiana right now. Josh, how are you today, sir? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thanks for calling in here. So so we uh, obviously were talking about Paris, and my first question I came out with was, um, it's going to happen here. I think you and I both agree with that. And we just got to prepare. We got to prepare emotionally and physically in, in every way possible. And I just don't even really know what that looks like. I just know that that's what we have to do. So do you have an idea of what mm-hmm. that looks like for your family? Yeah, well, um, you know, I was telling your screener that uh, you know, I, I want to speak as not only a, a patriot, but as a Christian. Uh, and you know, to answer that question, I'm kind of you know, both sides of that coin. Um, mm-hmm. So, as a, as a as a patriot, obviously, I want to you know protect those I love uh, and do what I can to protect my family. I'm, I've been married for a little over a year now, and I, I'm in love with my wife. I don't want to see anything bad happen to her, especially by the hands of these these crazy lunatics. But at the same time, as a Christian. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm, um, I, sometimes I feel kind of torn between what is being a victim and what is being a martyr as a believer, as, as a Christian. And, mm. uh, I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but, uh, so, um, I think I'm okay. I guess this is the point I'm trying to make is I'm okay with, with dying if it's for the purpose of, of, you know, because I love Jesus or, you know, because I've identified myself with this group uh as opposed to i'm just gonna i'm gonna die because i'm walking down the street yeah or you know because i don't look like this person or what i you know i I don't want to be a victim but i do i I am willing to be a martyr at the same time Mm -hmm. but i I definitely don't want uh, my family to be a victim either so as a patriot i definitely want to protect them in any way that i can provide uh you know protecting providing caring for them preparing though Mm -hmm. um uh, you know, preparing my, me and my wife, we, we often pray together and, and 
um, you know, I think that's that's one of the ways we can, you know, throughout history, especially the first century church, um, you know, they they were known at, you know, they were known to be pray. Those are men of men and women of prayer. Absolutely, not not just when you down. eat at night. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. yeah. Uh, Josh, I got to hit the top of the hour here, man. Thank you for your call very much. Sure, Let me sure. say two things that come to mind. I appreciate you, brother. Um, so this reminds me of oh, which which shooting was it? Gosh, um, maybe the Oregon one. I forget where the guy said, "Who's a Christian?" Lines them all up. Are you a Christian? Said yes. Shoot him in the head. Went to the next person, asked the same question. Went down the line, and we said that the bravest person in America at that time was everyone after the first person. <laughs> Or I guess the first person do, but you know what I mean. Everyone who said, yes, I am a Christian, knowing that they would then get shot in the head. That is the bravest person in America. Who is willing to stand by their faith, even knowing they were going to get shot in the head. And I'll never forget my best friend, his dad, uh, told him, he said, son, if someone puts a gun to my head and says to you, I'm going to shoot your dad in the head unless you denounce Christianity or Jesus. I'm going to tell you, I'll see you in heaven. Do not, do not ever disown this. So martyr victim, you decide. Mike Slater Show, Blaze Radio Network, spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Um, tough day, and it's going to be uh, a tough couple of days of what happened in Paris last night. Um, someone wrote on Twitter... They said, we, as one of the Black Lives Matter protesters, they said, we can remember the tragedy in Paris and still remember Mizzou. We are capable of multitasking. Both situations are equally messed up. Uh, no. No. Not equally messed up. Not, not equally messed up at all. In one case, you had terrorists taking over a concert venue and trying to kill every single person inside of it and at the university of missouri you have um nothing nothing happened at university of missouri no things happened at university of missouri no one has been killed no one was hurt your feelings maybe but nothing real <laughs> and your illusions perhaps. But the people of France right now, and certainly the family members of the, uh, what now 129 people who are killed, they can only wish that their tragedy was an illusion like yours. So no, not equally messed up by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I don't know. I'll make this prediction one more time. And not that it matters. I don't know. I'm hesitant to even say it. But I, I, mm, 
I don't I don't know if I hope that this does happen or I don't know. My prediction is that the terrorists who were inside the theater took video of what they did and uploaded it until they died. And then um, the terrorists are going to use that footage as propaganda footage move forward. So I think we will see more of what happened inside of that theater. And uh, when the people of Missouri, the University of Missouri and Yale see that, I think they'll stop ranting and raving about hypothetically offensive Halloween costumes. Um, Josh, our, our last caller, you, you reminded me of something. Um, we, were t- we kicked off the show talking about how this will happen here in America. This will. It will. It absolutely will. Uh, it's just a matter of time and when and what it looks like and all the rest. So we all know that we need to prepare. And we talked about what that looks like, what it physically looks like, what it emotionally looks like, what it spiritually looks like. And I want to tell a quick story here of uh, something we did on my local show the other day. We actually had three guests on, three guests in one day. We had a man who spent a decade or so living homeless in a cardboard box downtown San Diego who turned his life around when he finally got help through the Salvation Army. His name was Clyde. Please think of Clyde when you donate to the Big Red Kettle. We talked to William who rescued a woman as she was being attacked by a polar bear. Yes, you heard that right. And we talked to a Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink, author of the book Extreme Ownership. Ownership in this case means owning your life, owning up to your mistakes, owning your choices, being accountable. Extreme ownership. Now, these three men, completely different people right they they you know we have this we talk all the time on the show about this fetish for diversity that we have these three men look different william is an inuit in canada 71 years old clyde is a 68 year old black man william's the 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 guy who fought off the polar bear clyde is the was the formerly homeless man 68 years old black man um and then jocko is a white i don't know 40 year old monster of a human being just enormous like <laughs> could crush my head with his fist just massive you line these three men up next to each other and they are a caricature of diversity on the outside but none of that matters because they all have something in common on the inside and i had a hunch that they would before we talked to these three men and the thing that they have in common is that they all serve other people that's what unites them. They serve other people. Jocko is a Navy SEAL, putting his life on the line for our country and also for the Iraqi people. He served in uh, Iraq most of the time. William, putting his life on the line, serving someone else, rescuing a woman. And uh, Clyde, he now works at the Salvation Army and helps people who are just like him. And when people come in, he says, listen, if I can do this after 35 years of addiction, you can do it too. All three of these men serving other people which is the secret to life, by the way. But I was talking to um, someone who works on my local show uh, after the show, and he brought up something else. He brought up something else. Um, Something else that that two of the men at least had in common. And I want to play this here, and and I want to know what you make of this. So, William. uh, The short of his story was he was inside watching TV, and he heard a commotion outside. And he ran outside and he saw a woman's head in the mouth of a polar bear. Okay? Imagine, imagine you see that. 
He said he involuntarily ran to go get a snow shovel. Right? Get a snow shovel, try and scare the bear away. Involuntarily ran to get it, which is such an interesting choice of words. Here's clip one. I love how you said you involuntarily ran and grabbed the shovel. What do you think I that didn't w- think I didn't think I was actually going to run and get the shovel. Now, I hear that. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> you didn't think you were actually going to go and get it, but you did. So then he keeps going. He keeps telling his story. And, and uh, I end with this clip, too. What's your conclusion? Would you do it again if you were in that situation? I don't know. I had to have to be confronted again, I would imagine. I'd, I'd hope that I would uh, be able to, but there's no real way of knowing whether I'd, would, uh, I'd be able to do it again. Now, I'll admit, when I asked him that question, you know what I wanted him to say? I wanted him to say, of course I'd do it again. In an instant, I'd save that woman's life. I would save anyone's life in any circumstance because that's what a man does, Slater. That's what a real man does. But you know what he said? He said, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. I'd hope I'd do it again, but I, I, I don't know. And I'll tell you, when I, when I talked to him, I was disappointed at the end. Because what we do on my local show every Tuesday at 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock, we um, share a story of someone who did something heroic. Okay. So I wanted this man to say, of course I'd save someone's life. Of course I would take a snow shovel to a polar bear's head to save a woman's life. But instead he said, I don't know what I'd do. Okay, fine. So 90 minutes later on the show, talking to Navy SEAL Jocko Willink, 20 years Navy SEAL. He looks like Brock Lesnar. My very first question out of the gate. Here it is, clip three. What's the greatest thing you've ever seen anyone do? The greatest thing I've ever seen anyone do? Yeah. Something that someone did, you saw it, and you said, good night. Well, I mean, this is a pretty easy answer. Mike Monsoor, who is one of my guys uh, that worked for me in the SEAL teams, and on September 29th, 2006, he, uh, he jumped on a grenade to save three of our other teammates. So that's all you need to say about I'd that. say that. Greatest thing he's ever seen. Hard to beat that. Greatest thing he's ever seen. Okay. So I said, all right, Jocko. Would you jump on a grenade to save another man's life? Now, normally that would I would never ask that to someone. But here he just said, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen anyone do. So a natural follow-up, I think, is, well, would you do that thing? Here's what he said, clip four. He did it without without thought and yeah. just did that to, to save his friends. Would you do that? I have no idea. That's such an honest answer. But isn't the Navy SEAL supposed to say yes? I, I'm not sure what the Navy SEALs are supposed to say. Hmm. Why do you want to be a Navy SEAL? You can stop there. Look at that. I have no, he said, I have no idea. So you have these two men who both put their life on the line when asked if they would put their life on the line again or if they would do something that, that they said was the bravest thing they've ever seen, they both said, I don't know. What? Like, what do you... That just took me back. No bravado. 
No arrogance there, no bluster, no pretension. Both of them were honest. I don't know. So what's the moral of the story? Brave people are honest. <laughs> they're honest with themselves. They're honest with others. Brave people are humble. Humble and wise to their own limitations, to their own weaknesses, to their own failures. And I want to come back on that point in a second, their own failures. And my buddy came up with this sentence. Check this out. He said, it's more honest and more brave to be honest about being brave. And that's what these two men were. They were honest about being brave. It's more honest and more brave to be honest about being brave. No arrogance in these two men. Do you have the, the last clip here about uh, with, with Jocko? Flip. Um, it's the one about humility. It's the, it's the one about humility. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Let's play that one real quick. Wow, but again, but warriors are tough, powerful, brute. I know everything. Prideful. That's so not true. Why do we have that perception? Because that's what the Hollywood shows you. Yeah, that's not what that is, though. Yes. So every service member I've talked to, super humble about uh, who they are and and. Uh, and what their purpose is. Yeah, their and you, it's actually interesting. You know those those like stolen valor type people yeah, exactly. that are f- liars yeah. and whatnot. They they always are that way. They're yeah. always you know the super toughest guy yeah, in the world, right. and they did all this stuff, and they got all these medals. And you say to your, it, that's almost like the first red flag that glo- gro- yeah. goes up because you say, how is this person so? confident about what they've done when most people you talk to people that have been in really tough combat yeah. and they're going to go man i got tested and parts of that test i didn't pass mm. and that stings but it humbles you and keeps you in check there it is that's the humble to their own failures i got tested in parts of that test i didn't pass that's amazing and there's a biblical truth here one of my favorite stories in the bible i got 60 seconds i'll tell it real quick a pharisee and a tax collector. They go to the temple to pray. A Pharisee is a, is a righteous man, a brilliant man of the law. And the tax collector are the lying, cheating, corrupt sinners. Okay, So I'm trying to think what that would be like today. It'd be like, uh, I don't know, super rich, successful, smart, famous person. And, uh, and a lowly sinner. They go to the temple, they pray. And the Pharisee said, God, thank you. That I'm not like other people. Oh, that'd be the worst. Thank you that I'm not like the robbers and the the adulterers. Thank you that I'm not like that tax collector guy over there, right? He's terrible, God. Thank you for making me so much better than everyone else. And the tax collector said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And the parable ends with those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will will be exalted. I wanted these heroic men I talked to the other day to say, I am great. Look at what I did. Then of course I would do it again. How dare you even question me? That's not what they did. They didn't exalt themselves. They were humble. I don't know what I do. Those are the men who in the end will be exalted. Now, what does this mean for us? First of all, real heroes are humble. That's first thing. So you can spot them better. Or when someone comes to you and is not humble, you can pass them. 
But I like sharing stories of people like this. Because the hope is that if you're ever faced with a situation that requires heroism, you'll be able to go deep into your mind, deep into your heart, and you'll find a collection of heroic examples and say like that, that quickly, oh, this is what a, a humble person does. This is what a heroic person does. This is what someone does who realizes that life isn't about you or it's not, life's not about me. And hopefully you can be like William and involuntarily go get that shovel to scare away the polar bear. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three, and those ex- those those opportunities to be heroic. If, if they're every day, really, but when it comes to what happened in Paris, you're going to see a lot more of those opportunities soon. And I hope you're there for them. Slater Radio on Twitter one eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. So the whole last segment was really me talking to me about myself. Like... I'll just be honest with you. I, I, I'm I'm thinking about the theater. There's 2,000 people in that theater, and I guess there was four gunmen. And we're, we're, we're friends here, right? We can be honest with each other. My, 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 I'm thinking, gosh, what would I do if I was in that theater? Easy for me to say, right? And I like to think... I would I would run after one of the gunmen. I'd run after one of the guys with the gun. Like, what do you? And try to take them down and be like, "Hey, let's get four other people real quick." Be like, "You go for the head. You go for the legs. You go for the waist. I'll go for the gun. Let's go. Ready now? Boom, go!" Because it's either that or they're gonna behead you, or they're gonna throw grenades and you're gonna die. You're gonna die one of these ways. You might as well take someone down and maybe something can happen. I like to think that's who I am and what I would do. But gosh, here's Jonko Willick, Navy SEAL, being like, "I don't know." what what do you mean you don't know you're supposed to say yes of course i would and that's supposed to give me encouragement to want to be a man like you and here you're saying i don't know what i'd do what the heck jocko i know it's impossible to put yourself there but again my hope is that we can just focus on what matters, focus on what is true, focus on what we know is right, focus on what is actually heroic. So you have to question everything. I want to tell a story coming up later about Europe and uh, some like C-list celebrity is being threatened with jail because of something that she put on Twitter, right? So Europe doesn't have freedom of speech. We have to question everything. We have to question what male and female means for the love of Pete, because a man just won glamour's woman of the year. It's like, what the heck is going on? We have to question everything. And we have to question what it means to be a hero because that same person is continue, has been continually called a hero. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What does it mean to be a hero? And how do I prepare for that? I think people are less likely to spring into action if they're constantly bombarded with things that aren't true. 
and with examples of heroism and heroes that aren't heroes and examples of courage that isn't courage. I think people are going to be more confused when that moment comes. So I think it's our job to provide a little light, a little clarity, a little direction, a little focus to this and say, no, 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 no. This is what it means. This is what is right. This is what is heroic. This is what it means to be courageous. This is what it means to be a man. And in the end, if we can just keep doing that, I think when the moment does come, you're more likely to spring into action and, and do what is right. And a lot of that comes with humility. And, and at times, you know, I got to humble myself and just be like, you know what? I, I think I, I like to think I would run after the shooter and take his gun away from him and then shoot him and then go sniper the other guy. Right. I, it's a fantasy in my head. I don't know what I do. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't entertain and shouldn't deeply think and pray about what we should do. And in the meantime, refocus on what's important. Refocus on what's important. Always and only. Bob Goff, who's just such an awesome author, um, he has this thing called I Quit Thursdays. And it doesn't mean you, you know, stay in your bed all day Thursday. It means you quit something. Every Thursday, you quit something. Something that doesn't matter in your life. You quit it. Just stop doing it. Do all that stuff. Defog your life. Refocus. And uh, we'll all be better off for it. Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. the next generation of talk radio this is mike slater slater crusaders thanks for being here one 888 and uh, slater radio on twitter of course uh john is in kansas city home of the world series champions how are you john i am doing great now that i know that my four friends in paris are safe ah beautiful john wonderful to hear and Speaking as a pastor, I'm going to make a very um, unpopular statement here. Mm, lay it out there. And that is, we don't need to be praying just for Parisians, because there are many people in Paris who are from other countries that don't identify Parisians, including Muslims who did not take part in last night's attack. Mm-hmm. Those people are probably hurting just as much as the ones who... Um, were in the midst of it all and walked away with no injuries and to do anything less than praying for everybody over there, including any Muslims who are living in the city of Paris is not the appropriate thing to be doing right now. I, uh, I won't argue with any of that, John, <clears throat> nothing, nothing to argue I, about there. I, I'm seeing way too many people on Twitter that are of a conservative nature wanting to put all the blame squarely on the shoulders of all Muslims. And that is the most evil and despicable thing I think they can do. Why do you say evil? Because when you look at what they're doing, as Chris, many of them identify as Christians, and as Christians, we are not supposed to judge people in any way, shape, or form. 
and they are judging people for the actions of others. Hmm. Is that can can you judge someone because of an ideology they have? No, you judge the ideology and you show them Christ's love and attempt to steer them in the right direction away from that ideology. Yeah, that's definitely true. What do you say about uh, all the refugees that are coming into France, Germany, and all the rest? And it looks like one of the guys, one of the terrorists, uh, was indeed from Syria and was a refugee, checked into uh, Greece on his way to uh, the rest of Europe. Um, so obviously what there's going to be a backlash against further refugees, including the tens of thousands that are coming here to America from Syria. What I say about that is, unfortunately, if, if, you're, if I'm looking at this from a purely governmental standpoint, which I need to to explain where I'm going with this, unfortunately we are not going to be able to weed out those who are um, coming in with ISIS-related ideologies and what we need to do is be a little bit more careful in slowing the tide that are coming in and work with our Middle Eastern partners to get them to accept more refugees where mm. there's less of a likelihood that many of them will carry out attacks in the Middle East. Yeah. And I'm a big supporter of what Glenn is doing and Mercury One is doing and trying to work to bring Syrian Christians, well, Middle Eastern Christians as a whole, over here and get them safe as well. Yeah, I'm definitely down with that. John, really good to hear from you, sir. I appreciate you, and I appreciate your heart. Um, and I'm glad you brought up the other countries. I haven't thought about it since uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, maybe months even. The Middle Eastern countries that don't that haven't taken anyone in, <laughs> literally anyone, like UAE, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, they haven't taken any of the refugees from the rest of the Middle East there into their countries. None, none, zero. Why not? What's going on here? Uh, all the people flee, fleeing uh, these these countries are heading west. Why not head east? It's just as far. And in the end, you're you're with a culture that's more like where you're leaving. So why are you heading in a different direction? I haven't thought much about it. I can get back to it maybe another day. Um, let me make one last point on things that don't matter and then and then we'll be done with that i'll move on to uh a couple other topics here so i'm making a new pledge to not be outraged by things that people tell me i should be outraged by so i've I've checked out of the game i'm just i'm not going to play it anymore i'm not buying into it i'm not going to be controlled by it i'm not i quit like i quit i quit the game and it feels really good. It feels really good to not be a slave to something. And I've 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 quit the outrage machine. And there will be a t- and I say this because there's going to be a time when you're listening to the show and you're going to think but Slater what you're, you're you're talking about this, but what about that thing that the TV told me I should be outraged by? Why aren't you talking about that thing? Because it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That thing that people are telling you to be outraged by doesn't matter. 
And when we waste more time talking about it, it's a waste of our life. And our life is too short already. And I'm not going to spend parts of it being outraged over nothing. And there's been a lot of examples over just in the last week. I I pretty much quit last week. So I'm a week out of the outrage machine. Part of it is not ever um, talking about anything that that anyone says on The View anymore. right? I mean, that's that's just an example. I'm not going to be outraged by things that happen on The View because... That's just that's what they do. They try to get people outraged about that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play the game. I'm gonna talk about what matters. I'm not gonna be deterred because I just can't. It's exhausting to put out little fires all the way when we get, we're trying to go somewhere more important than all this nonsense. And I'll just give you another quick example: the new Starbucks coffee cup. Don't care. I don't care. I don't care about the Starbucks coffee cup. First of all, I think it's just a viral marketing scheme to get people talking about the Starbucks coffee cup. I'm not going to fall for it. Now, here you're probably saying, well, hold on, Slater. Here you are being outraged at a thing that you say you wish you're not going to be outraged anymore. Sure, but <laughs> you get where I'm coming from. I don't care if Starbucks put Satan's horns on their Christmas-themed coffee cups. I don't care. Starbucks, for me, has never been an arbiter of my faith. I have never gone to a st- – well, take it back. I've had many a Bible study at Starbucks. But there's nothing special about the Starbucks that makes it a place I go for my spiritual growth. And I suppose it may be nice to have Starbucks put a nativity scene on their coffee cups. I may, I don't, maybe it would be, I don't know. They don't, they don't, they don't do that though. And they never have. I looked at previous Starbucks coffee cups or holiday cups and like they don't have a snowman on it or a, a penguin or something. <laughs> So a red cup is a lateral move. And here's the thing. I'm not so sure that anyone was outraged by what Starbucks did. I don't think anyone was outraged by it. But we were told that people were outraged by it. And because we were told that people were outraged by it, that means we have to be outraged by it. And the fact that we're outraged by it, other people are outraged that we're outraged by it. And I'm, I'm just, what are we doing here? Let go of the nonsense. I refuse to be pulled into outrage, the outrage uh, churn anymore. Because it's up to me to decide what I allow in my home. What I allow in my marriage, what I allow in my friendships, what I allow in my heart, what I allow in my life. It's totally up to you. And I'm just not going to let dumb things anymore. So throw that out there. Uh, join me. <laughs> and the connection with the Paris thing, I think, is pretty clear. I hope it's clear. You, it will make more sense what happened in Paris and what our reaction to it should be. Will make more sense if we're not bogged down by quote unquote Starbucks coffee cups. Right? You'll be much more agile. You'll be much more wise. You'll be much quicker with your thoughts, clearer with your conscience if you're not bogged down. It's no different than, uh, I don't know, you're carrying a, you a car with a bunch of stuff in the back. Right? I mean, you're going to get better gas mileage if you have less stuff in it. You know what I right? I mean, it's just get rid of the excess garbage. Throw it away. You don't need it. Guarantee your life will be better. Your life will be better and everything will be so much clearer. Quit something. Quit something that has a handle over your life.
I quit being outraged by things that other people tell me to be outraged by. Been doing it for a week. It feels good. No withdrawals. one 888 right, we'll come back. We'll chat about some other stuff here. And if you want, we'll take a call too if you want to. Uh, I think we'll have time for a couple calls on uh, Paris if you'd like. one 888 Mike Slater. So the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, I want to go right to Charles in Pittsburgh, uh, which I believe has certainly top three, arguably the top uh, or my favorite uh, city skyline. How are you today, Charles? Hi, Mike. Thanks for uh, for calling in. Thanks. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the Paris attacks. Now, uh, during the time that was happening, my friends and I were talking, and I remember the hostage situation was ongoing, and he was saying how, why hadn't anybody rebelled against so few attackers when there were so many people held hostage? And I just, I had to say, everybody thinks they would want to be a hero in that time, but you'll never know until you're actually under the stress of being in a situation like that. You're absolutely right. Real quick, did you hear the la- the beginning of this hour's segment by any chance? Uh I heard part of it. I came in halfway through. Yeah, yeah. So so real quick, we talked uh, on my local show the other day. We talked to a guy who rescued a woman from a polar bear attack, and yeah. we talked to a Navy SEAL, and, and, and his buddy uh, jumped on a grenade to save his life. And I asked both yeah. of them if they would do it again, and they were both like, I don't know. So they have the same reaction that you had, and they've actually done heroic things already. Yeah, and I mean, I want to say, I don't want to sound cocky or anything, but I'm only 17, and I have the same viewpoint. Of, of which viewpoint? Of how you you don't know until the until the moment comes what you're going to do, and if you do it, it's probably not going to be something you think about. It's just going to be instinct. Yeah. So, the, and I agree, and I like that. And I like that humility. I, I don't think that's cocky at all. I think you're being humble by saying I don't yeah. know what I would do. But I also want to make sure, and I don't think it's the proper reaction to say. I don't know what I'm going to, I would do. Oh, well, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then just forget about yeah. it. There, there's gotta be steps so that when it does happen, we may not be a hundred percent sure, but we'll be pretty darn sure that, yeah. uh, or at least we'd like to think we would do X, Y, Z. It's one thing. And this was me a couple of years ago. I don't even know what I would do. Right. Like yeah. let's right. Let's say there was a gunman. Like what would I do? So I took a, a Krav Maga class, and I can't recommend it enough to every single person listening. Uh, Krav Maga, K-R-A-V-M-A-G-A. It's what the Israeli Defense Forces use, and it's all about eliminating a threat now, as quickly and efficiently as possible, right at this very second. It's not a martial art, right? So a martial art is beautiful, and there's form. and art. This is, guy's got a gun to your head. Stop it. <laughs> Stop that gun. Yeah. And when I took the class, they, they we talked about different things. Like if there's a gunman in a theater, what do you do? And he said, you get to the aisle, you run down to the front of the aisle, and you come alongside the gunman. You come to the side of him or just behind him and get him because he wouldn't expect that. right? So they went through this run through of things to do, and it's just helpful to sort of run through them in your head and to at least know what you should do, whether you do it or not. I, I don't know, there. but. 
Yeah, exactly. So, man, I'd recommend you. And you're 17. You got plenty of time, brother, to to really ingrain oh, yeah. these things still. So I would I would recommend a Krav Maga class. And there's tons of them. There were, I'm sure there's some in Pittsburgh. Oh yeah. They're right. fun, man. Grab some, yeah, grab some friends and and go knock it out and have some fun. And it's good self defense stuff. And uh, and uh, it's super fun. I've taken one or two, and they're really really fun. So um, that would be my recommendation, man. So why why do you think? What do you think you would do? What do you what would you want? Do you want to be the person who would spring into action? I would. Yes, I'd very much like to be that person. But like I said, it's all situational. Yeah. But first step right there that you even answered, yes, I do want to be that person. So yeah. you have you have it in you to do it. That's the first step. Because I know people who would say, I don't even want to. Like, I, I wouldn't even want to be the person to jump and save the girl, quote unquote. Uh, yeah. So the fact that so the fact that you want to do that at all is, is uh, the first and, and I'd say biggest step. Charles, we got to hit the top of the hour, man. I appreciate you listening, brother. Have an awesome day, dude. There's Charles. There he goes. 17 years old. I love it. Um, and that piece of advice goes to everyone. Krav Maga. K-R-A-V-M-A-G-A. Really, really good stuff. I'm trying to think what other things they learned. Like my wife and I, we practice all the time. So one of them was, what do you do if someone's got their hands around your neck? So I'll go out to my wife. There's context here. Don't don't take this out of context. I'll go out to my wife and grab her neck. And she'll take put her both her arms up grab with her left arm, grab my hand, twist it, take a step back, elbow my hands down, and then elbow my head, right? So we'll practice, and we'll do it just randomly whenever. Um, Same thing with, like, flipping a gun around and all that stuff. So little tiny things. We hope it never happens. But I think they're just little confidence builders, if you will. So when the moment comes, you're ready to spring. And also the other thing is awareness, situational awareness, keeping your head on a swivel. The worst thing, just straight number one. I'll leave you with this. I got 10 seconds. Uh, don't text and walk down a street. Just don't do it. Stop. Put your back to a wall. Text. Keep your eyes up. As soon as you text and walk, you're just, you're a target. You are, you're such a bullseye on your back. So just situational awareness. Keep your head on a swivel and uh, you'll be able to spring in action uh, when you need to. one 888 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. I will give you an answer, and I'm sure it will be a wrong answer. You want to Google it? I will give you an answer, and I'm sure it will be a wrong answer. What do you think systematic oppression is? Systematic oppression is because you don't believe that you have the equal opportunity for success. You don't believe you believe Money. Did you just blame us for systematic oppression, Tim Did you just blame black <laughs> all, right, all right, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Slider Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Um, we've been talking in the last two hours about Paris. Uh, I want to bring up a couple other things here uh, as we wrap up this week and prepare for the next week, which will be uh, surely all about the latest as we learn more and more about uh, about what happened. Um, so that was the former president of University of Missouri, and he was right. He said in the beginning, he said, no matter what I say, I'm going to be attacked. And then he said something and got attacked. 
Um, I don't, so I could I could chat. We talked a lot about it last week on my local show. I could talk for ten hours about what happened at Missouri and Yale. I went to Yale, so I got a little more in, a little insight in into what life is like at Yale. Um, it's a bubble. <laughs> It's a bubble for everyone. It's fantasy land. It's not real life. And it's in the middle of a ghetto. So if you go two blocks outside of the bubble, then these kids would have a, a taste of what real life is like. Um, but let me say this just generally before we get started, if we decide to do that. This is my personality. Um, perhaps it's a defense mechanism in a way. I don't know if it's healthy. <laughs> I don't know if it's the right way to react to things. But just so you know, this is the first thing that always goes through my mind whenever something bad happens in my life. The very first thing that goes through my mind is I think of someone else who has it worse. Again, I don't know if it's healthy. I don't know if I'm not suggesting you do this too. Um, perhaps an ounce of it is healthy, but I take it to an extreme. So my dad died of a stroke two years and a couple months ago. When he died, I, I, my first thought was, you know, some people don't get 29 years with their dad. Some people don't get to say goodbye to their dad. Some people have regrets about their relationship. Even when he died, because he survived for like a day, even when he died, I was like, well, this, this is awful. But, I mean, some people have a stroke and then they have to be taken care of for the next 30 years, which is incredibly difficult for the family. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm going through all these things. And I'm like, well... Gosh, other people have had it much worse. I'm I'm lucky. And I do it with everything. I broke my collarbone a couple years ago, and I said, gosh, I, I could have landed a few inches differently and broke my neck. I saw a, a, a video just this morning, actually, of a guy. Maybe I, maybe I could pull it up. We could play it in the next segment. Um, quadruple amputee. Quadruple amputee who just has this amazing – he was a veteran. Just an amazing zest for life. And he's like, yeah, it could have been worse. could have been dead. He has no arms or legs. Two weeks ago, we shared the story of Jesse Brown, right? The sharecropper in Hattiesburg, Mississippi in the 1930s. And he wanted to be a fighter pilot in the Navy. And all the other black people around him, they said, what are you talking about, Jesse? Black people aren't even allowed to go in planes, let alone fly them. And he ended up being the first black fighter pilot in the Navy, he uh, Jesse had it worse than any other black person today. Sure, truly, he had it worse. He was born a sharecropper's son, worked in the fields barefoot till sunup to sundown, lived in a shack, just stereotypical tin cans underneath holes in the roof when it rained. Right, like as poverty stricken as you could possibly be, he had it worse than any black person today, and he never let it stop him. And the people who did try to stop him, the people who called him the N-word, the people who spit on him, you know what his dad said? His dad said, son, those people who call you the N-word, you feel sorry for those people. You feel sorry for them. That they would say that to you, that they would think that about you, that they would think those things, that they would have those things in their heart. You feel sorry for them and you go on with your life. A couple months ago, I had the opportunity to interview the first black city council member in San Diego. He came from Bakersfield, which is um, sort of in the middle of the state, 
took a bus down to San Diego, got off of the, tra- the bus station downtown, walked across the street to get a bite to eat. They wouldn't serve him. Walked to the other side of the street to try to get a hotel room. They wouldn't let him stay there. Fast forward a couple decades, he's the city council member of that district right there. He served in World War II. He said when he was in uniform back in San Diego, which is a military town, when he was in uniform in San Diego during World War II, he said he was treated worse than the German prisoners of war. We had a chance to talk to him, and I asked him about these, these moments of discrimination, how hard it was to buy a house in San Diego, how hard it was to start a business, how hard it was to serve in the military. And this is what he said, Clip 8. Were you angry? Well, no, I wasn't angry. I, I'm not going to let them make me angry, but <laughs> I, I was very uncomfortable, of course. Hold on. I love that line. I'm not going to let them make me angry. What do you mean? Well, I just mean, you know, me getting angry because somebody else is not, not, not somebody else not being very smart, you know, not going to, I shouldn't, it's not to make me angry. I, the reason I love that is because you made your being anger a choice. It's, you think, you say it's your choice whether or not you're going to get angry. Not, it's not the other person. Right. Right. Of course. <laughs> we can stop that. I love that clip. I love, 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 love that clip. It's the same thing. Jesse's dad, Jesse Brown, the first black fighter pilot, told his dad, uh, told, uh, Jesse's dad told his son, you feel sorry for those people who call you the N-word. And here's the, the first black city council member in San Diego saying, yeah, I feel sorry for those people that they would think that. I didn't get angry. I'm not going to let them make me angry. I'm not going to give them control over my emotions, over my life like that. Of, of course I'm not going to let. <laughs> it's amazing. So again, I think of students today. I think of uh, the, the kids at the University of Missouri, and I think of the kids at Yale University. Yale University talk about how difficult their life is. And again, this is just my personality. It's, it's, it's always what I've done for my life personally. I think of Ida B. Wells. We've shared her story before. She, uh, she pulled a Rosa Parks before Rosa Parks was alive. She was on a train in Memphis, and she refused to give her seat up for a white man. And the conductor tried to drag her out of her seat, but she just... You know, braced her feet and, and hands up against the seat and wouldn't budge and bit his hand. So the conductor got a couple other men together and they threw her off the bu- uh, off the train. She lived in Memphis, but she left town for a couple days. And during that time, a close friend of hers, Thomas Moss, his name was lynched. Like, like actually, like hung from a tree. Let me just be clear: hung from a tree. Students of University of Missouri. A person was lynched and hung from a tree until he died. We're not talking about hypothetically offensive Halloween costumes. We're not talking about cultural appropriation, right? We're not talking about a white person who braids their hair. We're talking about an actual lynching of a human being. And this was Thomas Moss. He went to school. He went to uh, Sunday school. He, uh, he taught Sunday school. He went to church. He owned a business. All the, the things that a black man was supposed to do to prove himself to the white folk. And even he was lynched. So uh, Ida B. Wells wrote an editorial about it. And she said, brave men do not gather by thousands to torture and murder a single individual so gagged and bound that he cannot even make a feeble resistance or defense. So the white mob stormed the printing press, the building that, 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 uh, that Ida B. Wells printed from burned the building to the ground she wasn't there but they said if she ever stepped foot in memphis again then she was going to be lynched 
And she's like, ah, whatever. And she was about to come home, but she kept getting all these telegrams from her friends saying, no, no, they're serious. There were instructions to kill her on sight. There was a gunman stationed at the train station in Memphis every time a train from the north arrived waiting for her so they could kill her right there on the spot. So she stayed in New York and exposed the truth and fought uh, lynching across the country. That's real discrimination is my point. Now we've come a long way from those days, late 1800s that was. Still got a long way to go, don't get me wrong. Certainly. But the way kids are acting today, you'd think that lynching was back in style. But don't forget that all this is over Halloween costumes and the like. Someone on Twitter earlier said, uh, we can remember the tragedy in Paris and still remember Mizzou, University of Missouri. We're capable of multitasking. Both situations are equally messed up. No, they're not. (laughs) Both situations are not equally messed up. 129 people died, and you're on the University of Missouri where nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. She wrote something else here. Um, I lost it. I'll come back with it. Oh, here it is. Uh, If actions, this is the same person. She said, if actions hadn't been taken, Missouri could have easily turned into a mass slaughtering. What are you talking about? (laughs) What are you talking about? So these uh, black students on campus, I wish they would take the same approach as Jesse Brown and and the first black council member in San Diego. I wish they would take the same approach and say, you know what? I feel sorry for the person who drew that swastika in the bathroom. I feel sorry for them. I feel sorry for their little mind. Um, I feel sorry for anyone who thinks like that. I feel sorry for anyone who agrees with that. And I'm going to prove them wrong by my actions. Isn't that the appropriate response? It was for those men. It was for those men who experienced real discrimination. So why wouldn't it be appropriate for these people who are experiencing not like, I don't know, I don't want to call it like made up hypothetical discrimination. So many black people in history have overcome adversity beyond anything that a black student experiences today. Yale, Yale for the love of Pete. Good night. Um, every time I would leave the library, you go up in the stacks and then where the books are, and then you come down, and the doors open up, and there's a big portrait right in front of you, right when the elevator doors open, uh, of Edward Boucher. Edward was the first black graduate of Yale in 1857. His dad was a local bootmaker in New Haven. Do you think it was easy for a poor black student a few years before the Civil War to go to college at Yale? He did it. So why the heck do you think you have it so tough? Now, I started off saying I'm not sure if this is the right attitude to have. It's, it's where my nature takes me. Doesn't mean things can't be better. Doesn't mean they can't be better. But let's not curl into the fetal position and cry that things are so bad. Because I would argue, and I think by every objective measure, they've never been better. Let's have some proper context. 
1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Slater, Slater. One last uh, point on this because we only got a few minutes and then we'll come back and I want to talk about freedom of speech uh, in Europe. And if we have a minute longer, I think we'll, yeah, we'll have time to do both. I want to talk about freedom of speech in Europe, uh, which doesn't exist. And I'll tell you about uh, one woman who may be sentenced to six months in jail. I'll tell you why uh, coming up in the next segment. And then after that, we'll wrap up with uh, a modest uh, Veterans Day tribute. Uh, so we'll do that coming up the next half hour. But just one last point on this. So Harvard Law School, which is probably the best law school in the country. It's where Elle Woods went. Their shield, it says veritas at the top of it. That means truth in Latin. And then it has three bushels of wheat, which is kind of a funny logo for a law school, I suppose, a bushel of wheat. But the reason it is is because uh, that's taken from the coat of arms of Isaac Royal Junior, whose estate helped fund the original law school. And the reason it's a problem is that uh, this, this man, Isaac, had, had slaves. He had 12 of them. Now, he was also a British loyalist and, and was pretty much run out of America after the Revolutionary War. But the real problem is that he had slaves. So there's a movement now to change the crest of Harvard's law school. In other words, people have nothing else to worry about. If you're worried about slavery and 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 Harvard, I'd be a little more worried about Harvard Law's connection with Saudi Arabia and any monetary ties uh, ties between Harvard Law and Saudi Arabia, which engages in modern day slavery. But who am I to say? One final story on how ridiculous everything has become: University of Delaware is launching a million dollar diversity initiative in response to a hate crime on campus. Now, the hate crime was a noose found hanging from a tree in the middle of campus. So a popular spot on campus. Uh, yeah, we had a little area called Cross Campus. It was right in between sort of the two main parts of campus. Cross Campus. Sort of every campus has that sort of area, right? So the, the University of Delaware, the middle area, they had a noose hanging from a tree. Now you can imagine if you're a black person walking down the sidewalk in the middle of campus, finding a noose Hanging from a tree. Goodness gracious, that is a uh, that is a hate crime. It's a hate crime against your your soul and your safety. So, because of that, University of Delaware launching a million dollar diversity initiative. Um, now, f- first, as if that would change anything. Like, so someone hung a noose from a tree, and you think a million dollar diversity initiative is going to. I don't, like I, that doesn't I don't, I don't even I don't even understand the connection between those two things right like that solves it or something I don't even but the bigger picture here is it wasn't a noose it was a piece of rope from a paper lantern that was hanging from the tree the night before there was an event the night before there were a couple paper lanterns people were taking the paper lanterns down someone tried to take that paper lantern down the rope remained 
And that's what someone saw and thought it was a noose. Now, it actually doesn't even look like a noose. (laughs) It looks like a piece of rope hanging from a tree. And someone thought it was a noose. Now, there's pictures of the event the night before where there are paper lanterns hanging from said tree. Uh, The police have have uh, have the paper lanterns and showed how when you just pull the paper part out, the the rope remains. Um, Everyone knows that it was a piece of rope hanging over uh, remaining from a paper lantern. Still doesn't matter. One student said, I shouldn't feel unsafe walking past a building where there were supposedly nooses hanging down, but I do. I don't think it was a paper lantern. Yeah, but it was. And she says, I shouldn't feel unsafe. You shouldn't feel unsafe. You should not feel unsafe. There's no reason to feel unsafe. There wasn't a noose. This is crazy. How can there be such little concern for reality today? A million dollar diversity initiative Inspired because a piece of rope was hanging from a tree. Bruce Jenner gets Woman of the Year from Glamour Magazine. Clockboy gets an invitation to the White House because he in no way invented a clock at all. I imagine that a million-dollar critical thinking initiative would be money better spent in our country. And again, the obvious connection, I don't even need to spell it out for you, is that these people absolutely perceived discrimination versus real life terrorism that's going on around the world. And I, I read something, I didn't read the full thing, so bear with me, but it was something in time. And they're like, oh, more white terrorists, more people have been killed from white terrorists in the last few years than Islam terrorists. Like, what? What are you talking about? Well, first of all, what's a white terrorist? But that's in Western countries. There's real life lynchings going on all throughout the Middle East of innocent people. But we're going to get all riled up about a paper lantern rope hanging from a tree. Let's get this straight here. Mike Slater show. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the blaze radio network. Mike Slater is on. Slater Cassettes, Flip and I, producer Flip, talking about the uh, what's going on in Missouri and Yale. Uh, so I, we didn't kick off the show. Uh, we, I guess we kind of did. One of the first few segments. Um, and we tied it into Paris, too. Is I think, I think we have been created to f- need to fight for something. Truly, truly fight for something. And it's in all of us. And I think the people at University of Missouri, the, the, the students and, and Yale and all these other college campuses, they're not without hope, right? They're just kids who want to fight for something, who are wildly misguided, have no empathy and no sense of perspective, and therefore aren't fighting for something, A, bigger than themselves, because they can't look outside of themselves 
for a lot of different reasons that we've talked about many times before entitlement culture uh self-esteem culture everyone gets a trophy culture all that stuff and i said before i guarantee you that there are black students on yale's campus who spend their time doing charity work in africa and those kids are not complaining about hypothetically offensive halloween costumes because they're fighting for something bigger than themselves and i guarantee you there are there are black students on yale's campus who are christian africans from nigeria who have family members who have been killed because of their faith or black uh, Yale students who are from South Africa who can tell you what real discrimination is. And through their, their adversity, they're stronger because of it, and they're not going to be just crushed into the fetal position whining about Halloween costumes. They're stronger than that, and they have a purpose and a mission bigger than that. So we talked about that in one of the first segments. You can check it out at theblaze.com slash radio to get the full analysis there. But there's no doubt about it that, that we all yearn to fight for something. And most of these kids, like the kids at the University of Delaware who are protesting over a noose hanging from the middle of campus. It wasn't a noose. What are you doing? <laughs> Go find something worth fighting for. So they're just grab, they're grasping for it. So Flip and I were talking about the kid at the University of Missouri who was on a hunger strike. And his dad's like a railroad tycoon. Right? His dad made like eight million bucks the year before, and they're talking about privilege. I'll kick it up a notch. The Yale student who screamed at the professor. Remember this? I don't even want to play it because I can't even. I've heard it a million times. But she goes, "Who the blank hired you? Who the blank do you think you are? You're disgusting. You shouldn't sleep at night like that." Girl just screeching right in this professor's face, and the professor's like. You know, listen, I don't, I don't agree with your assessment on this. Well, then who the, just like, like wildly inappropriate, like should be suspended from school. You can't talk to professors like that. That's outrageous behavior. So she said, who the blank hired you? It turns out that girl, not only did she grow up in Fairfield, Connecticut, which is one of the wealthiest places in the entire country to grow up. So she lives and lived an absolute life of privilege monetarily at least i don't know anything else but she grew up in a super nice part of the country um not only that but she was on the eight person hiring committee for that professor eight people were on the committee four of them students she was one of the students so when she says who the blank hired you she did she was on (laughs) she was on the hiring committee what those are two ends to that story, the, the Missouri hunger strike guy and this screeching girl that you couldn't write. The, the Missouri hunger strike guy is the son of a railroad tycoon? What are you talking about? The girl screeching at Yale, who the blank hired you? She's the one who hired him? Come on. It's crazy. Um, I want to talk about freedom of speech here for a second because that's one thing that this all comes back to we can't assume anything we got to get back to basics on basics on everything we got to get back to basics on gender for the love of pete like what is a male what is a female as as uh caitlin jenner wins woman of the year for glamour magazine like what so back to basics we have to constantly defend freedom of speech and not just defend it but argue for it because it's unique in history and it can't be assumed so the great Charles Cook wrote an article, um, and he started off with, with something that we've all heard or said on the playground as a kid. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. 
All right, that's what we were told as kids, right? Usually followed with, I am rubber, you are glue, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks on you. But let's just focus on the sticks and stones part. So Europe doesn't believe in the whole freedom of speech thing that we have here. And I think we've highlighted a couple different cases over the last year or so, but here's this week's example. Ursula Presgrave in England. She's an actress, uh, a TV show actress. This is what she wrote on Facebook. Anyone born with Down syndrome should be put down. That's better than living the rest of your life as a vegetable. Okay, that's what she wrote on Facebook. She said, anyone born with Down syndrome, not Downs, she wrote Down syndrome, should be put down. It's better than living your life as a vegetable. Now, that comment is idiotic, wildly ignorant, really hurtful, an ugly, terrible thing to think or say. We all know that. Okay, I don't, we don't need. Do I need to do any more of this clarifying? Like horrible, horrible thing. She was found guilty in England of a crime. The crime was malicious communication, and the judge could sentence her to seven thousand dollar fine and six months in prison. Now. As morally repugnant as her comment is, it wasn't directed at someone specifically. It wasn't, hey, you, person with Down syndrome, I'm going to kill you because it's better than you living your life. As it, wasn't, it, was, it wasn't specific, so it wasn't harassing. And it wasn't a threat. It wasn't, I'm going to kill people with Down syndrome. It was general opinion. People with Down syndrome should be put down rather than live their life as a vegetable. Horrible opinion, but worthy of going to jail? No. If you value liberty, that should not be a crime. Now, here's why I bring this up. This is an interesting piece of context to this story. In England, where this actress wrote this and where she may be sentenced to jail, what are you in for? I said something offensive? In England, you are allowed to have an abortion up to six months. Anything after six months, you are not allowed to have an abortion. Unless your baby has Down syndrome. About a thousand babies a year in England are aborted after six months only because the baby has Down syndrome. So. The only logical conclusion based on this law is that the people of England believe that it is better to put a baby down than to have it live with Down syndrome. In other words, exactly what this actress said. Now, this woman said people who already have, so, so people who are currently have Down syndrome and are alive, already born, should be put down. And the law says that a baby... A moment before it's born should be put down. So you can argue there's a difference there, but is the difference worthy enough of throwing this person in jail? So back to the sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. The doctor who performs an abortion on a baby who is going to have Down syndrome a, a day before it would otherwise be born, which is legal in London and England. The doctor who performs that abortion, hurting the baby, to say the least, killing it, he's fine. But the woman who used her words 
to articulate basically what is the law, she gets jail time. Is there any question as to why we need to defend freedom of speech? See how absurd it gets? And it's not just this story. There's many others. There was a reporter who was investigated uh, by police because she wrote on Twitter that uh, soccer players from Africa should not be allowed to come to England because they may have Ebola. She said, little sweaty jocks sending us Ebola bombs, something, something like don't let them come here or something like that. Calls to throw her in jail, investigated by police. There was a drunk soccer fan in his house tweeted really racist things about a black soccer player after he had a heart attack on the field and was sent to the hospital. And he was sentenced to 56 days in jail. 56 days in jail for racist things on Twitter. And they're horrible things, but they're not, they weren't even directed to him. They were just generally racist things about him or whatever. 56 days in jail? Here's what the judge said. This is amazing. The judge said, uh, not just the footballer's family, not just the footballing world, but the whole world were literally praying for his life. Your comments aggravated this situation. What? And the judge said that he was sentenced, quote, to reflect the public outrage. So there you have it. That's where we're going. In Europe, you can be thrown in jail because of public outrage. That's it. Now, today in America, you're fired because of public outrage. That's what we saw in Missouri. Fired because of public outrage. It's not that much further away from being thrown in jail. When a judge thinks that his job is to reflect the public outrage, of course that's where we're going. C. Van Woodward, he was a history professor at Yale, um, 70s. And he was tasked, uh, there was a, a free speech committee at Yale and he was given the task to write a memo for it. And he said, it's our job to create a campus environment where we can quote, think the unthinkable, discuss the unmentionable and challenge the unchallengeable. Think the unthinkable, discuss the unmentionable and challenge the unchallengeable. That place used to be called America and I would have it no other way. And I feel so strongly that that's the way it should be. That if anyone disagrees with that, I think we should throw them in prison. No, I'm just joking. I don't think. Yeah, right. But that's where we're going. Europe doesn't have a First Amendment. They don't have freedom of speech. And look how we take it for granted. Even the journalism professor at, Yale, at, uh, at University of Missouri, remember, kicked that uh, the journalist out. She's like, you can't be here. Get out of here. Hey, everyone, I need some muscle over here. <laughs> what? The journalism professor. Amazing. All right, I want to wrap up with our uh, Veterans Day uh, tribute, humble Veterans Day tribute coming to Max. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Mike Slater. 
I've heard this sentiment from veterans uh, for a while now. It comes from their humbleness, but it uh, it, it takes a different turn. Uh, Marcus Luttrell, lone survivor, he put this on Facebook. He said, uh, or he said a, a um, Veterans Day message. Happy Veterans Day to everyone. And someone said, I often feel that I am not worthy when people thank me, thank me for my service. I'm ex-Navy as well, but I was no SEAL. I was just a lowly DS who never even went to sea. I feel guilty, like I'm taking thanks earned by men and women like you who actually fought for our country and sacrificed so incredibly much. Right, so you see where the heart of where that's coming from. It's coming from a good place, right? Someone who's super humble about their service and they're comparing what they did to Marcus Luttrell and they're like, oh gosh, people thanking me, goodness. But it, it steers off into guilt and shame. And Marcus Luttrell wrote back, he said, wrong. Don't think for one second that, you, that the dotted line you signed is any different than the one we did. Everyone who serves is part of the spear, whether the staff tip or razor's edge. Always carry your head high and shoulders back. Enjoy this day. You earned it. And it reminded me of that sentiment from Luttrell, which I love, reminded me of Patton. Uh, one of his most famous speeches, it's the one that said, no one ever won a war by dying for his country. You win it by making the other <clears throat> person die for his country. Gosh, I can't read almost any of this patent speech <laughs> on the radio. But here, here's one thing he said. I love this. He said, an army is a team. It lives, eats, sleeps, and fights as a team. This individual hero stuff is bull. And we have the best team. We have the finest food and equipment, the best spirit, and the best men in the world. By God, I pity those poor fools who we're going up against. All the real heroes are not storybook combat fighters. Patton said, he said, every single man in the army plays a vital role, so don't ever let up. Don't ever think your job is unimportant. What if every truck driver decided that he didn't like the wine of the shells and turned yellow and jumped headlong into a ditch? Well, that coward could say to himself, ah, they won't miss me, just one man in thousands. But what if every man said that? Where in the heck would we be then? Nah, thank God Americans don't say that. Every man does his job. Every man is important. The ordnance men are needed to supply the guns. The quartermaster is needed to bring up the food and the clothes for us. And every last person in the mess hall, even the one who boils the water to keep us from getting the GI diarrhea, has a job to do. And Patton says one of the bravest men I saw in the African campaign was on a telegraph pole in the midst of a furious fire. And I stopped to ask him, what the heck are you doing up there? And he said, fixing the wire, sir. I said, isn't it a little dangerous up there right now? He said, yes, sir, but this wire's got to be fixed. And I said, sir, don't the, I said, uh, I said, don't those, uh, did this fire bother you a little bit? And he answered, no, sir, but you sure as heck are. He said, that was a real soldier, a real man. Thank you to all of our veterans. No job ever too small. Mike Slater, so the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.